Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. And my guest today is David Lombardo from the from the Capitol Press Room. And he's here to talk about uh, Kathy Hochul's first State of the State message. So, David, what do you think? Well, in, in terms of just uh, a speech itself, uh, this was a an historic moment, uh, our first ever State of the State address from uh, a woman. Uh, we also have our first State of the State address uh, in more than, I guess, 10 years that was not delivered right. by Andrew Cuomo, and uh, our first State of the State address that was back in the Assembly Chamber, and also the first State of the State address uh, that was, uh, you know, I guess in the socially distanced uh, sort of demeanor because last year's was just completely remote. So there was all of that backdrop to this speech. And I think all that contributes to the kind of historic nature of the speech. But uh, in terms of the style and delivery, I didn't think it was that great. Uh, I thought that uh, the speech itself was kind of meandering, going from one topic to another without any significant flow. I thought Hochul's delivery was either awkward at points or just sort of uh, off the mark because of her kind of uh, pronunciation problems that make some of the words come out not as how she intended. But I don't think that really matters in the long run because most New Yorkers aren't consuming the speech the way you and I do, Cynthia. They're not watching this uh, and uh, hanging on every word. They're digesting it through the media. They're reading news stories about it. They're watching 30-second clips. They're listening, hopefully, to the Capitol Press Room for coverage of the speech in the aftermath. And through that filter, I think the delivery and style doesn't matter as much, and it's the content that, that really matters. And so I think we can, you know, talk about that next. You know, one thing that was pleasantly surprising, it was brief. I mean, Cuomo went on each each year for a couple of hours, and, and she stuck more or less to the 30 minutes the way it used to be. That was kind of refreshing. Yeah, that was definitely a nice change of pace for the audience, which, like we said, is primarily journalists uh, and state government uh, nerds and people who actually have to work in in state government. But I think what Andrew Cuomo was able to do by having those longer speeches was give, say, the media more red meat for when they actually presented it to uh, the news audience when most people would consume it, like I mentioned earlier. So by giving you know, a shorter speech, giving less clips to choose from, maybe it doesn't necessarily serve Kathy Hochul. I guess it really depends on who her audience is. If she's trying to please the people who are watching it in the moment, then yeah, it's a success by doing a, a shorter speech. If you're trying to tailor your message for that audience that's gonna get it filtered down, uh, maybe it's not the best strategy. So, from your perspective, how many people were in the chamber? Do you know? Oh, it was very small. So what you could see on the feed was basically that there were the legislative leaders, Sons, Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty, who tested positive right. for COVID that day. 
Uh, you had the state attorney general, you had the state controller, but for the most part, the chamber, which normally sits 150 uh, assembly members, was completely empty. There were even uh, many fewer uh, members of the press. We had to pool our resources. I think there were five or six of us allowed actually in the chamber for the speech, and most uh, mm-hmm. lawmakers were invited to watch the speech remotely, basically given the same link that the member of the public uh, had to watch the speech. So uh, in terms of the dignitaries and elected officials that everyone knows, I mean, there were less than a dozen of them in the chamber for the speech. So of all of the proposals that that the governor made, what stuck out in your mind as, you know, important? Well, I think we should first cross off what she didn't address, which was the uh, criminal justice issue that's on a lot of people's mind, whether you're the New York City uh, mayor, Eric Adams, or whether you're Republicans who are gearing up for a big election fight in November. And that's the state's use or restricted use of cashless bail. The word bail doesn't appear in her speech and doesn't appear in her state of the state book. And I think that was kind of telling because it's not something that she wants to talk about during the 2022 legislative session because it is so polarizing. And uh, Governor Hochul is hoping to really create a big a coalition as she can during 2022 because she's running not only for uh, Demo- the Democratic nomination uh, to be governor, but she's also running in a general election potentially in the fall. So she's trying to build up the biggest coalition as possible and bail is not something that uh, is going to help with that since it is so divisive. So I thought it was really telling that she did not mention bail specifically in her speech. In terms of things that you know she did mention that were important, I think healthcare has to be number one. I don't think necessarily she took any big swings uh, in the healthcare sector, but because we're in the middle of a pandemic and because uh, our healthcare workforce was in real trouble before the arrival of COVID-19, I think it's important to focus on what she had to say about rebuilding the healthcare staff uh, in New York. And she's looking to make uh, a $10 billion investment in healthcare and support wages for workers with the goal of growing the industry's workforce by uh, 20% over the next five years. We don't have a ton of details about uh, where this money is coming from, how it's being uh, invested annually, but anything that recognizes the workforce issues that we have is pretty important. And it's one of the things that we'll probably learn more about in her state budget at the end of January when we'll get to see some of her dollar and cents uh, figures. One issue that I'm um, particularly concerned about is the student loan debt crisis. We've got 40. 46 million Americans throughout the country that are burdened with student debt. And mm-hmm. I remember it in the speech, uh, the governor mentioned something about the tuition assistance program. So can you tell us a little bit about how that will affect people who want to go to college? Yeah, so the big announcement on the tuition assistance front was basically expanding eligibility for tuition assistance, making it uh, accessible to part-time students. Uh, Traditionally, tuition assistance, which 
uh, does not meet the, the need in New York in terms of the number of students who need help, as well as the actual cost of college for students who do receive some sort of tuition assistance. But by making it more accessible to part-time students, uh, that's going to be a, a big uh, help for these students who might also be, be working. And uh, you know, typically, we're trying to pay for college all on their own. In terms of people who already went to college and already are wrecked with student debt, there was nothing too major in this speech to help them. Uh, there's a measure to deal with the automation of debt forgiveness for state employees, basically improving the process uh, that already exists. And there's also a commitment to uh, make additional resources available to some of the services that are available to help New Yorkers who went through college navigate the field of student debt, uh, you know, basically helping them figure out what loans to pay off, should they be consolidating certain efforts. Um, so that was the big uh, student uh, debt and higher education piece of the speech. I'm originally from downstate, and one of the things she talked about is a new, I guess maybe a highway, is it, from uh, – from Queens to to Brooklyn. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that? I thought that was kind of interesting. How much will it cost and what's the time frame? Well, uh, on terms of the specific questions, we're definitely going to have to wait for, for more details on that. But in terms of the significance of the proposal, I spoke with some of our downstate colleagues uh, in the aftermath of this speech, specifically a, a Times Union reporter who used to live in Queens, and he basically said you can't underestimate what a big announcement that is. But like I said, in terms of the details, uh, the significance is kind of contingent on uh, those details, which we don't know yet. So I think that's something where we're going to have to wait and see. Because I remember a couple of years ago, Cuomo talked about LaGuardia, but then I don't know if it was too costly, but that program was was scrapped. And when I I heard this, I thought, oh, gee, that would be great. It would save maybe time commuting uh, for people who, who travel from Brooklyn to Queens. Um, so do you think that's something that, that – in the foreseeable future will happen? Well, Hochul's directed the MTA to begin uh, an environmental review of creating this uh, interborough express between Bay Ridge and uh, the southwest uh, Brooklyn area to Jackson Heights, which is in central Queens. So I think that's obviously a good first step. Uh, I, I guess what I don't understand and what we'll have to find out more is what sort of unilateral power does she have in this area? Because obviously she can uh, direct the MTA to do things, but in terms of securing funding, she's going to need buy-in from state lawmakers, I imagine, unless there's some secret pot of money put aside that I'm not aware of. And if Uh it is the case that she does need the legislative buy-in, I think we'll learn more about how the Democratic majorities feel during the budget hearings uh, when they begin to ask the the Department of Transportation, the MTA, and even the New York City mayor uh, about uh, what they think about this project. 
One of the things a lot of people, not only in New York but throughout the country, are concerned about is is the environment. So Mm -hmm. what did the governor mention in her speech about the environment? So I thought the environmental portion of her speech was pretty interesting, uh, all things considered. Uh, She has previously announced that she wants to grow the state's $3 billion bond bond act to a $4 billion bond act, something she reiterated during this speech. But she also talked about making a $500 million commitment toward offshore wind. Uh, She has uh, floated the idea of shifting the costs of recycling away from consumers and putting it on manufacturers, which is theoretically going to incentivize them to make uh, products that are easier to recycle. Uh, there's uh, a push to double the uh, state's energy storage goals by 2030. Uh, she has you know, made uh, a push to uh, achieve 2 million electrified uh, homes by 2030, something that we've covered uh, on this show. She's also talking about investing a, a lot of money, I believe a billion dollars, to really build out the infrastructure that New York needs to help incentivize people to transition to electric vehicles, which is a big part of the state's uh, campaign to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. There is some language dealing with wetland regulations that I know a lot of environmentalists were excited to hear about. Um, In terms of what might be missing on the environmental front, uh, there was nothing in here about uh, water infrastructure, uh, nothing about uh, regulating the use of uh, cryptocurrency mining operations that uh, tap into fossil fuel plants, and nothing really on uh, addressing lead in our drinking water and other uh, sources of of pollution uh, where lead might uh, get into our, our bodies. So I think on the whole, the environmental section was one of the bigger parts uh, of this speech. And um, I don't know if we would have seen that coming, but I guess in hindsight, it's not super partisan what she laid out. For example, she didn't talk about imposing a tax on carbon, which might result in higher gas prices. I think they might. Would it result in higher gas prices? Uh, But it's something that environmentalists want to see done in order to fund uh, the state's pathway to reducing greenhouse gas emissions, which is going to mean uh, a significant investment in in renewable energy resources, and and that money needs to come from somewhere. It was just a few short months ago, Cuomo was governor and de Blasio was mayor. Now that we have a new, new mayor in New York City, do you think that the chemistry will be good between the between the governor and the mayor of New York City? I think the chemistry will be good as long as there aren't any significant uh, landmines that they step on. And, you know, looking ahead, there are landmines that could disrupt the relationship. I I think from a personality standpoint, Governor Kathy Hochul is obviously more interested in maintaining a healthy relationship than Governor Andrew Cuomo had been with the New York City Mayor's Office. Uh, I'm not really sure what to expect from Eric Adams on the personality side. We got to know him briefly as a state senator in in Albany, and in that time, I would say he demonstrated the same type of 
I don't know, unique personality that he has uh, been putting on display in his week as mayor and in the months before that. Uh, So he's kind of a wild card as far as I'm concerned. But uh, I think, you know, I mentioned Bale at the start of this conversation, and he and Governor Hochul are not exactly in the same place on what to do about the use of cashless bail and judicial discretion in New York. So that could be one of the sticking points between them, which, you know, if they are able to silo their relationship, you know, it it won't be a holdup and won't hang up their ability to work on other issues. But it's hard to imagine that one disagreement not bleeding over into other areas. So I think we're in a real honeymoon phase right now, but like any honeymoon, it eventually ends and you have to come home and, you know, do the hard work of maintaining a relationship. And that's where things can sometimes get a little messy. What part of the speech did you particularly care for? Particularly care for? I mean, Honestly, Cynthia, with me and this speech, I spend more time reading the accompanying book than listening to uh, the 30 to 40 minutes of remarks because the speech is, like we say, filled with kind of like platitudes and high-flying language to a certain degree. So for me, when I look at the book of proposals, uh, I think that it comes back again to – Uh, criminal justice. And this is something she talked about uh, in the speech, but I don't think she uh, really made a strong case for, and that's uh, the issue of tuition assistance for incarcerated New Yorkers. And this is something that I I gravitated toward because it's going to be something that's controversial this year. So back in the mid Mm nineties, New York moved away uh, completely from spending state resources on tuition assistance for incarcerated New Yorkers. It was part of this tough on crime boom at the federal level that started in 94. And uh, ever since then, the only way that incarcerated New Yorkers have been able to access higher education is through uh, private colleges that are making uh, any sort of outreach and initiative on this level because the state's not spending its money on it. And we saw when Governor Andrew Cuomo tried to uh, spend state resources on this, that he had to give up quickly because there was so much pushback, even from his own party. So Governor Hochul, in her speech, uh, made a passing sort of reference to the importance of uh, creating a pathway forward for uh, incarcerated, formerly incarcerated New Yorkers. But she didn't really spend a lot of time making the case for it. At least I didn't feel like she did. And I think this is going to be one of the big fights uh, moving forward. And we actually talked with Senate Majority Leader Andrew Stewart-Cousins about this initiative. And, you know, she said that she specifically is supportive of this type of endeavor, but wouldn't commit that the Senate Democratic Conference as a whole is going to back this initiative, as well as the so-called clean slate legislation, which is designed to give formerly incarcerated New Yorkers a, a fresh start following prison by sealing their criminal records so it's not held against them as they try to apply for housing or uh, other uh, types of programs where a criminal record might uh, hinder them. So I'm really interested in uh, what those proposals sort of uh, mean to her campaign and her government uh, leading in the next few weeks. Are these things where she's really going to 
throw her weight behind them? Or were these sort of just asides that were supposed to make the progressives in the Democratic Party uh, happy and, and keep them, them quiet because there weren't other uh, big criminal justice uh, progressive proposals in here that they could gravitate toward? The, the slogan, three men in a room, no longer applies. Now, I, re, I, I remember reading or seeing on television that when the IDC was around uh, for budget negotiations, Cuomo would invite Jeff Klein rather than Andrea Stewart-Cousins, where it would still be a male-dominated thing. And, you know, now there'll be um, the governor, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, and Carl Hasty. You think that's going to change the atmosphere a lot? I'm not sure uh, how the dynamic of multiple women in the room will affect things. And uh, I think that's largely because uh, I'm, I guess, a guy, and I'm not really sure uh, what uh, it means uh, in terms of uh, advantage point. But I think what we do know is that Governor Hochul, no matter whether she's a man or a woman, has a different uh, approach to governing than Governor Andrew Cuomo. And I think his was probably because he's a guy. Um, so, so maybe that's a, a consequence of gender. But I, I think really the thing to focus on is the fact that Hochul has said publicly that she wants a more collaborative approach. And while there's always going to be disagreements between the legislature and the governor, and I think we want that because we want a system of checks and balances, I think that she's going to probably approach, say, negotiations over big ticket items as well as the budget with a air towards making con- concessions. And I really wonder, though, how far is that going to go? Because at a certain point in time, you want to draw a line in the sand. And it's one thing to say you want to be collaborative, but it's another thing to compromise, uh, say, your ideology and your beliefs in a meaningful way, uh, especially if you don't have to, because the governor's office wields a lot of power during the legislative session and through the budget process in particular. So, you know, it's one thing to say you want to have a good working relationship and that you want to be collaborative, but at the end of the day, you control the levers of power to a large degree. So why why give those up? I mean, it might just be the same type of approach to governing, but with a a smile. Although, um, Letitia James decided not to run for governor. Uh, Kathy Hogel does have two competitors. She's got uh, Swazi on the right and Williams on the left. So do you think that the success of the two challenges will hinge on how well Kathy Hochul navigates everything, process, and, and, and the bill she wants passed. You know, as uh, we watch this race for the Democratic nomination unfold, I have to say that I don't think that uh, Governor Kathy Hochul needs 
to be super concerned with the next six months, largely because I had not been impressed with the campaigns from uh, Congressman Tom Swazi or New York City public advocate Jumani Williams. Uh, and I say that because they really haven't gained a- any traction with uh, voters, specifically Democratic voters, and they only have six months to do that. And I, I think to a large degree, Kathy Hochul is in control of this race, and I don't think she needs to worry too much about what happens over the next six months. I mean, if the budget like doesn't get done on March 31st uh, yeah. and it gets done on April 1st, okay, that's fine. If the budget doesn't get done on March 31st and come you know, end of June, we're passing two-week extenders and we still don't have a budget, like that type of crisis might make her uh, chances for re-election be, be, uh, less <laughs> than optimal. But I really think as long as she can demonstrate to a large degree that she can walk and chew gum at the same time, I don't think it matters that she doesn't pass, say, the New York Health Act or uh, other big progressive priorities, maybe like good cause. I think she still has enough support amongst the Democratic establishment to be the party's nominee in November. So, Dave, we've just got a couple of minutes left. Um, give a little plug about your your radio program. Okay. Well, next week we're going to be doing a real look ahead at 2022 and speaking with people who are smarter than me about what to expect and That includes uh, New York State Democratic Party Chair Jay Jacobs, uh, New York State Republican Party Chair uh, Nick Langworthy, former Assemblyman uh, Keith Wright, who's the head of the uh, Democratic Party in Manhattan. Uh, And we're also going to try to get a better understanding of of what the Democratic Socialists are thinking uh, in the wake of Governor Hochul's State of the State address and uh, in advance of primaries where they're going to be challenging a lot of incumbent Democrats. And to get that perspective, we're speaking with uh, freshman assembly member Zoran Mamdani. So we're really trying to look ahead and also do a deeper dive into this state of the state address as best as we can, because like I said earlier, we're still waiting on some of the details that we're not going to really have until the budget. But I think we can definitely begin to flesh out some of uh, the proposals like uh, on, on child care, uh, on, on higher education, um, uh, on some of the specific transportation initiatives. So that's what we'll be doing over the next uh, days and weeks leading up to the state budget address. So you're on the Capitol Press Room. Is that a statewide program? It is. So our show is syndicated on stations all over the state. Uh, on a, every day of the week and then on weekdays, uh, excuse me, and then on the weekend we air a best of show which is available on stations including uh, WNYC in New York City where we try to sum up some of the key takeaways uh, from the week. And you can also find us at capitalpressroom.org and you can download the show as a podcast uh, wherever you listen to uh, your favorite podcast, whether that's Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, or the uh, myriad of other options. So thank you, David. You've been listening to David Lovato, and he does the Capitol Press Room uh, right here. In, uh, it's on um, 
the saint in Albany. And yep. um, next month, I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focus on Albany. Happy New Year, Dave. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. Happy New Year, Cynthia.